Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. If you would, turn to John chapter 14. What an interesting time that we're living in. You know, I remember growing up and uh, having people... Saying things like, you know, you just shouldn't be antisocial. You just let down your mask and get close to people. And now it's everything's opposite. Keep your social distance. Put on a mask. Don't let people get close to you. It's all different. So what an interesting time we're living in. I usually like to um, open up with like a, a testimony of recent travels of what God's been doing, but I haven't traveled anywhere since I spoke here a few weeks ago. So, uh, but I did have, I just want to share this real quick. Uh, There's a text that I got that um, a gal who was watching online um, a few weeks ago. And uh, I, I want to encourage you with this, that when we gather on Sunday mornings, you know, obviously not everybody can make it. So we have people watching online and it's, it's not just people who consider this their church home, but different parts of the world, people are watching. And even if you're not the one up on, on the stage um, singing or playing an instrument, you might not be the one who is speaking, but the fact is we all have a part to play. And when we come to gather in his name and we bring our hunger for God, we are pulling on heaven. And so there are people who are on the other side of a, of a computer screen in different parts of the world that are being impacted by what's coming through the screen because the Spirit of God is touching them because you are coming with faith and hunger and expectation. So we all have a part to play in that. So let me, let me just share this real quick since I haven't traveled anywhere else and this is my only testimony from that. So um, this gal said that she could feel the anointing at home watching on the computer and God did surgery on her heart. She thought she had forgiven some people who had abused her when she was young, but she realized she really had not. She forgave them and has felt light ever since. And uh, that is good. God is really, really good. Um, one of the things that I am, I've been so encouraged about has been, uh, well, let, let, let me back up and say this, is that was... 18 years ago last month that Beth and I moved here back to Iowa from Tennessee. And um, Pastor David had only been the pastor for a couple months. And we've seen God come and do different things. Um, we've seen God do a lot of amazing things over the last number of years. And some, I can look back and I think about seasons of prayer that we've had. Um, going all the way back to 18 years ago, times where people are hungry and just pressing in and fasting in prayer. Uh, but I've, I've never seen such a concerted effort um, as we've seen over the last number of weeks, probably a couple months now, um, where, you know, I don't know what the exact number is, but about 40 people gathering Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning, Thursday morning, Friday morning at 7 a.m., and I think maybe Wednesday's even earlier. Um, gathering to just seek the face of God and cry out for our nation. 
And it's, you know, it's one thing, it, it can be easy to get, you know, hear a message on revival, uh, hear a message on our need for God, hear a message, or even just watch the news and see the chaos that's in our nation and, and get fired up for prayer and go, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it out to a prayer meeting. Well, that will only last you so long if the Holy Spirit himself is not breathing on it. But to see that people are coming out, and here's what I love about it, it's not... Like, the biggest blessing to me is that it, it's, it's Heartland, it's this church, intercessors, people just, even people who probably if you were to interview them would not consider themselves an intercessor. But they're just saying, we need God, we need help. The church needs God to move in power, our nation needs help. So I, I, whether I feel like I'm an intercessor or not, whether I feel called to prayer or not, the fact is we're in a desperate situation. So we're going to gather in the morning and seek his face. And, and so to say that, the, you know, most, most of the people here are people that attend, call Heartland home. But there are, there are people from other churches that are gathering here. So it's not just Heartland. It's other churches that are gathering to seek his face. And, uh, man, I want to encourage you, if you haven't made it out, please find a time to, to make it out on those mornings to crowd to God. Um, my experience has been that on these mornings of prayer, there are moments where it is dry and boring, dead and dusty. I'm just walking in the balcony. I'm just kicking up dust. Does that inspire anybody to come to a prayer meeting? Okay. There are moments like that because that's the nature of life. That's the nature of our own humanity. But there are lots of other moments where, man, there's a burning that begins to grip people's hearts. And you just begin to press in and you crowd to God and the Spirit of God begins to stir hearts. And it's, uh, there's just this corporate cry of, of crying out to God saying, God, have mercy on us as a nation. If you're going to have mercy on us as a nation, you've got to, just like we were singing about that refining fire, to come and do that in us as the church. Um, and so I have, look, if all it was was kicking up dust <laughs> and it was just dry and dead week, every day, week after week, um, we wouldn't have the people coming like they are. But they're coming because God's doing something. We know this is not something. It's Dave's, Pastor Dave is an amazing leader. I'm so thankful for the pastors that we have in this church. We are so blessed to have the leadership that we have. But that's not something man can orchestrate. It's by the Spirit of God, morning after morning, 40-some people coming to seek the face of God. And uh, so I want to encourage you, make it out to that. The cry that, there's just been this simple little phrase that's been going through my heart over the last several weeks. I've just been like, God, there is no plan B, there is no other option. There is no plan B. And I look, I take that phrase and I'm talking to the Lord about it. Some, some situations in my life, I'm looking, I'm, I'm applying that to things that I'm praying for in my own life. But I'm also taking that as a corporate cry for the church in America. And just going, there is no plan B. Either you come in power or we're dead. You have to come. There is no other option. It is not 
God, it'd be really nice if you showed up in power and did something. God, it'd sure be great if you'd move powerfully, but hey, if not, at least we got Netflix and let's just get a bite to eat. It's not an option. There's no plan B. God has delegated authority to us as the church. And as much as we might be tempted to point our finger at society, unfortunately, much of society is a reflection of what goes on in the church. I don't like to say that. I don't want to think that. But the reality is God's delegated spiritual authority to us. So Holy Spirit, we we just sang about your refining fire. God, we need you. Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes to see how desperately we need Jesus? Open our ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. And we thank you, Jesus, precious Lamb of God, that you paid a high price with your beating, with your suffering, with your back being ripped open with the crown of thorns on your head to purchase salvation and a complete and total victory over sin and over darkness in every area of our lives. You were crushed. Your body was destroyed so that we could be made victorious with your victory. I want you to get everything you deserve. You did not die that death just so we could just barely make it by week to week and show up at church and just get a little shot in the arm. You died for a glorious bride to have a victorious church fully in love with you and manifesting that love by her faithful obedience and allegiance. Now, Lord, we ask that you would get what you died for in us. Do that in me. Do that in me. Do that in me. I want to just take a second and before we read this passage of scripture I want you to just invite the Holy Spirit to speak to you today that we don't just gather on a Sunday morning in a building to listen to a man in a pulpit speak something but that you would invite 
the voice and the spirit of the living God to speak directly to your heart. Give him access. Holy Spirit, we invite that refining fire. Leave no stone unturned. Come and do what you want. We thank you. We thank you for your word and we thank you for your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's um, start with verse 15. John chapter 14, verse 15. I love this passage of scripture. I love John 14, 15, 16. Probably most famous in John 15 where Jesus talks about that he's the vine, we're the branches, and about abiding in him. But I also love this because Jesus gives us um, teaching and explanation and clarity on the Holy Spirit that he's, he's telling them, I'm about to go away, but I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. So verse 15, if you love me, keep my commands. Let me pause right there. We're going to read more, but a few weeks ago when I shared, I, I don't think I've ever wept through a message so much in my life. And man, I, I would, you know, there's a part of me that would say, I, I want to just, like, hey, let's get back to normal. Let's have a fun message. But I can't do that. It's not, it's not what the, it's not what God's emphasizing. It's not the season that we're in. He's a good God, and we have a victorious Savior. But I feel like whatever we've been experiencing, we don't have the fullness of it. God just wants to and needs to take it and drive it home even deeper. And sometimes it can be easy to like, okay, let's move on to a, another teaching. Let's move on to the next message. Let's move on to something different. But... my own personal life and corporately as a church we have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and not neither grieve nor quench what he is doing and wants to do Jesus says verse 15 if you love me keep my commands I have found growing up in the church it's very easy to say things like I love the Lord I love you Lord I love Jesus Get it? I love Jesus bumper sticker. Get a I love Jesus t-shirt. Sing songs that say I love Jesus. Declare my love for Jesus. And totally miss this part where he just flat out says, if you love me, keep my commands. And then he says in verse 16, and, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate. Or some versions say counselor. I will give you another advocate, another counselor, another helper to, to help you and to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. He's referring to the Holy Spirit, who's the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. The context for Jesus saying, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit is to people that obey him. And this struck me a while back that the Holy Spirit being sent 
makes no sense apart from obedience. Like the context is, if you love me, you will obey me. And then I will send the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the Holy Spirit only comes to empower hearts that already have an attitude that wants to obey God. So whatever manifestations, whatever gifts that we have, whatever, whatever experiences, whatever charismata we have, it all has to be rooted in this one thing of obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's like, if you love me, you'll obey me. And if that's your heart attitude, then I got good news. Because I'm about to send dynamite power into that heart of obedience. Because I have come to empower hearts of obedience. He says, I will, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore. But you will see me because I love you. will also live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Well, this passage right here again, he's driving home the point of if you love me, you'll obey me. And then he wraps it up by this part, this part of it by saying, and I will reveal myself to him. I, me and the Father, we're going to show ourselves to that person. It's like, wow, you want greater revelation of Jesus? If I say, Jesus, I want to know you more. I want to see you. I want greater revelation. He's saying, awesome. I put that desire in your heart. You want to know me more because I put that desire there. I want to show myself to you. Now, I just want an obedient heart. See, there's a, there's a corresponding cry. You know, we have a cry as a church of going, God, have mercy on our nation. God, revive the church. God, have mercy on our country. God, have mercy on the United States. We're praying for our government. We're praying for this country. We're praying for the, the chaos and all the stuff that's going on. And he's saying, but there's a, there's a corresponding cry from the Father going, that's awesome. Thank you for crying out to me. I want to answer your prayers. But you know what? I'm looking for that heart cry that corresponds. It says, God, whatever it takes, I want to obey you. And it's to that people, then he will reveal himself. He will show himself. Verse 22, but Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Verse 23, Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Gosh, you think he's driving a point home here? Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. He's making this really plain. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Helper, the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say I'm going back, I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you love me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father for the Father is greater than I. I've told you this now before it happens so that when it does happen you will believe. We'll pause right there. It's very, it's very easy 
to use church language and say things like this. I prayed and I gave my heart to the Lord. Have you given your heart to Jesus? Did you pray and give your heart to Jesus? Yeah, I gave my heart to Jesus. I gave my heart to Jesus. Jesus has my heart. Lord, I give you my heart and I give you my soul. I give you my heart. Here's the thing about that. I don't know that we can necessarily find that in Scripture, that phrase. I'm not saying it's bad. It's just not clearly, explicitly in Scripture. And so one of the challenges with that is we, it's very easy to just kind of have its own little category of, Lord, I've given you my heart. As it's kind of some separate deal. I mean, if you think about this in marriage, you know, I mean, in, in essence, when you do this covenant ceremony called a wedding, you know, what I'm doing is I'm proclaiming before God in heaven, before uh, the minister, between, before fa- friends and family, I am giving my heart to my wife. Two shall become one. It is a covenant ceremony till death do us part, Right? So we might not use the language, perhaps in the wedding ceremony, saying, I'm giving you my heart, I give you my heart. But really, that's what we're talking about. But as life goes on and, and years of marriage go by and my wife comes to me and she's like, honey, I, I, I feel like there's a distance between us. Honey, I, I feel like I'm trying, to, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to talk to you, but you're distracted and I go, yeah, but I gave you my heart. Got the wedding ring to prove it. I gave you my heart. Oh, I mean, that, that's great. But I'm wanting this relationship here and you're really distracted with other things. Yeah, but I gave you my heart. If you got the photos from the wedding, we could even pull out the video if you want. Even though we still have it on VHS. I don't even think we have a VCR anymore. So we got to get it converted somewhere by somebody. Um, honey, I don't, I don't think I'm, I'm going to be here this weekend. I'm going to, I'm going to go to somebody else's house for the weekend, but you have my heart. Do you think a woman who were to catch her husband with another woman would be okay when he says, yeah, but you have my heart? Oh, physically I'm with another woman, but yeah, hey, you know what? I gave you my heart. That's absurd. There's no woman who's going to be content with that. We, we know that for a natural relationship, but how easy it is with religious language in the church to say things like, Lord, I've given you my heart. And again, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that language, but here's the problem. It's very easy to just relegate that to some religious language. I've given you my heart. My wallet? No, that's, that's okay. That's, that's a whole nother. That's not really a part of my heart. <laughs> it's, my finances are a separate issue. 
my time. So if you want to break it down practically, because we're talking about relationship with God, then there has to be this practicality that says, okay, I've given you, quote, my heart, but have I given you my Facebook? Have I given you the right to tell me what I can and cannot do or can I cannot look at on Instagram or whether I should even be on Instagram? Have I given you my Snapchat? Have I given you social media? Have I given you Netflix? Have I given you my time? Have I given you these issues of my heart? Have I given you my time, my money, my resources? Have I given you what really matters? That All these things that make up our life. See, it's very easy to say, I give you my heart. Whatever that means. But then you get down to the brass tacks of life and say, but here's my daily decisions that make up my life. And it's very easy in, in American evangelicalism to just say, yes, I prayed the prayer. <clears throat> yes, I gave my heart. <clears throat> I prayed and I gave my heart to Jesus. And it's separate from the daily reality that we experience week after week, month after month, after year after year. Look, I'm not, I'm not condemning anybody. Please don't hear that. But here's what I am saying. Is the Lord has taken his word to so deeply challenge my heart. And I see this. In lives that are struggling. People who struggle. Man, we all go through struggles. We all go through challenges. We all go through difficulties. But sometimes some of our difficulties are not so much rooted in our circumstances as it's as much as rooted in our lack of surrender. And I wouldn't necessarily have as difficult of a time with some of my circumstances if there was just a deeper surrender to them. Look, I want you to keep in context. Keep this in mind. I, I, I love when the Holy Spirit comes into a meeting. And I love the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. And I'm known for that. The Holy Spirit coming and people get intoxicated with His joy-filled presence. I love that. All I'm saying is, I'm taking a look at the word and I'm asking Holy Spirit, I'm asking Jesus, don't let me read your word through just one lens. I want the simplicity and the purity of your word to pierce my heart. You've called us to be conformed to your image. So Lord, let your word go deep. go to this verse here. Verse 30. Jesus says, I will not say much more to you for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me. But he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. I shared a few weeks ago that one of the clearest signs of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on a people 
is that the enemy loses his grip. The devil himself loses his hold on the people of God. You can call it deliverance. You can, you can use the word exorcism. You can use the word sanctification. You can call it freedom. Whatever you want to term you want to use. But they, where the devil has a grip on people's lives and that thing snaps off. That grip that the enemy has on people's lives suddenly snaps off. His claws have to be pulled out of people and now suddenly there's freedom in that area of their life. And as I'm reading this passage of scripture, Jesus says, the prince of the world is coming. And again, Paul refers to Satan as the prince of the power of the air who has blinded the unbelievers. But it's not just unbelievers because we also have in Ephesians chapter 4, I believe it's verse 27, where he talks about not letting the sun go down in your anger and giving the devil a foothold. Because that foothold can turn into a stronghold and suddenly there's an area of your life that's wrapped around by the claws of the enemy. And he's addressing believers when Ephesians, like this is like the most glorious church in the New Testament. Like there was no correction that Paul was given. Like he's having to really rebuke the Corinthians, but with the, with the Ephesians, it's this wonderful teaching. But there is this, it's not a correction, but it's a warning. He's saying, hey, don't, don't, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Like when, don't hold on to that anger and let it fester. Because if you do, even as a follower of Jesus, you will allow the enemy to have a foothold in your life. And this is what Jesus was saying. Yep, Satan, he's the prince of the power of the air. He's the prince of this world. Because the kingdoms of this world have not yet been given to Christ yet. We're in that process, but it hasn't manifested in its fullness yet. And he's saying, he's coming for me, but he ain't got nothing in me. My heart is pure. And he says this. He says, but the world must learn that I love the Father and I do exactly what he says. See, he had just been teaching us this whole chapter saying, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. If you don't obey my commands, you don't love me. These are intricately connected. It's intrinsic. They are linked together. If you love, you'll obey. If you obey, you demonstrate your love. It's just that a life of obedience flows out of this, this intimate place of, of loving fellowship with the Savior. And then he's saying, guys, I'm the ultimate fulfillment of that. I'm not asking, I'm not requiring you to do anything I'm not willing to do. But I absolutely love my Father. And I do exactly what he wants me to do. And he says, because the world must learn. How many of you feel like you recognize to a heightened degree that the enemy's on a prowl? The enemy's on the prowl like a roaring lion, looking whom he can devour, searching for those who are devourable. I've had this phrase going through my mind for the last number of weeks. Lord God, make us undevourable. I don't even know if that's correct English, but like... <sighs> God, if the enemy's looking for those he can devour, make us undevourable. So if it's true that the enemy's on the prowl, okay, 
There's always been warfare. There's always the flesh. There's always the, it's always been that way. But if there is a heightened sense of the release of, of demonic activity, if that is the case, if we are in a season of heightened warfare, if that is the case, then I think we need to see it through this lens. Jesus said, because the world must know. I want to teach the world. I want the world to see that I love my Father. And I demonstrate that love by perfect, trusting, submissive obedience to Him. I'm going to teach the world what the Father's really like. And I'm going to, I'm going to demonstrate to my church. I'm going to demonstrate to my body, two sons and daughters of God, what it means to live in sonship, being perfectly submitted to the Father. He said, the devil's come for this purpose. What's the devil's purpose? He's looking to destroy. He's looking for some kind of little chink in the armor. He's looking for some kind of little foothold. He can, he can gain something in the heart of a man. In this case, there was nothing he could find in Jesus. But the devil's prowling around looking for someone to devour, looking for someone that he can get a little bit of a, of a hold on. He said, that's the devil's purpose. But he's like, my purpose? God's purpose? <laughs> it's so that everybody can see how good God is. That he's worthy to be worshipped. That he's worthy to be loved. And that he's worthy to be obeyed. That I'm going to demonstrate my love for the Father by completely obeying him in every area of my life. That I do exactly what he tells me to do. If that is the season that we're in, then I think from God's perspective, that's what he wants to do in us. He wants to put his beauty, his holiness, his glory on display through us so that the world might learn. You know what? I, I don't know about all that crazy tongue talking. I, I, don't, I don't get all their spiritual gifts. I don't want to get up on a Sunday morning and I don't want to gather. I don't, I'm not into all this organized religion. If somebody tells you that, just tell them. You know what? Heartland is very disorganized, so don't worry about it. <laughs> but man, that might not be true because I'm not on staff anymore. But when I was, it was because of me. They, they, they're like, I don't, I'm not all into that crazy Pentecostalism. I'm not all into that crazy. I don't, that's, that's weird. But you know what? There's a purity. There's a commitment. There is a love that burns in their hearts. There's something that's different about them. And they hold steadfast to the commands of Christ and they obey him no matter what. No matter what, no matter what comes their way, no matter what's thrown at them, they obey the word of God. How many remember last week, Pastor Dave was talking about um, Reese Howell's intercessor book. Um, a few months ago, I felt stirred to, to reread that book and, and I feel like I'm, I'm reading it through... Uh, a fresh lens like I'd never seen before. Um, I've read it multiple times over the years, but I really felt like the Lord told me to, 
to really take my time and read through it slowly. And man, when, you know, I, I love the word of God. And when, when I speak, I, I never read from other books. Um, but I felt like uh, the need to just read a portion, a segment of this book. And I want you to understand the context. This would have been um, the 1930s in Wales, one of the most Christian countries. At that time on the planet, they'd only been about, 20, about 25 years removed from a glorious, amazing revival that God poured out a spirit and rocked that nation. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people came into the kingdom. So this is about 25 years later, and this is the beginnings of, this is right at the beginning when uh, the Nazis were a beginning uh, their process of taking over Europe and, you know, trying to take over the world. And these were incredibly committed followers of Jesus, people who, uh, by our definition, really knew the Lord, walked with God, lived lives of great holiness and, and consecration to the Lord. They'd given themselves to ministry. And I just want to read a, a section of this. In the Christmas vacation of 1936, much time was given to prayer. As we approached the new year of 1937, there was an increasing consciousness of God's presence. The first outward sign that he was working in a new way was when one of the staff broke down in prayer, confessing her sense of need and crying to the Holy Spirit to meet her. Then we heard how the Holy Ghost had so manifested himself in the glory of his divine person to some of the girl students that they wept before him for hours, broken at the corruption of their own hearts revealed in the light of his holiness. An awesome sense of God's nearness began to steal over the whole college. There was a solemn expectancy we were reminded of the 120 in the upper room before the day of Pentecost. Like them, we only wanted to spend our time in prayer and supplication, conscious that God's hand was upon us, conscious that he was about to do something. God was there, yet we felt we were still waiting for him to come. And in the days that followed, he came. It's that phrase that we were so conscious of the fact that he was with us, and yet we found ourselves waiting for him to come. I feel like in a very, very, very small way that describes what God's been doing in our midst over the last several weeks. And all we've done is barely scratched the surface of awakening some hunger that his presence has been brooding over us, but there's a whole lot more to come that he wants to do. But it's one thing to cry and say, Holy Spirit, come. And it's a whole other thing to say, Holy Spirit, I give myself to you. You see, in Pentecostal churches, in charismatic circles, we often talk about we say things like, have you received the Holy Spirit? Have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? Which I think is fine to say those things. But a lot of times what we do is we inadvertently leave out the concept of, have you given yourself to the Holy Spirit? 
that we're not just looking for a tongue or a prophecy or a gift or a manifestation. We're looking for the fullness of this one who is called holy. That he would get all of us. So it's not just a, a question of how much of the Holy Spirit do you have, but how much does he have of you? And that's what the Lord's been challenging me with. He did not come like a rushing mighty wind, but gradually the person of the Holy Ghost filled our thoughts. His presence filled all the place, and his light seemed to penetrate all the hidden recesses of our hearts. He was speaking through the director in every meeting, but it was in the quiet of our own rooms that he revealed himself to many of us. We felt the Holy Spirit had been a real person to us before, as far as we knew we had received him, and some of us had known much of his operations in and through our lives. But now the revelation of his person was so tremendous that all our previous experiences seemed as nothing. There was no visible apparition, but he made himself so real to our spiritual eyes that it was a face-to-face -face experience. And when we saw him, we knew we had never really seen him before. We said, like Job, I've heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now my, eye, now my eyes have seen you. And like him, we cried, Wherefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. That line strikes me because, as I shared a few weeks ago, man, I'm thankful for all that God has done. But I feel like there's this dividing line and this, this line in the sand where I feel like, man, I, I don't even know him. I believe I do. But it's such a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction. And I want to be so given to him. And there's so much more God has for us. You see, it's easy to sit on the sidelines and to cheer on missionaries and revivals and revival history and revival stories and to hear what God's doing in China and different parts of the earth and to cheer that on. It's a whole nother thing to fast and pray and get at our face and say, God, I've got to have you. In the light of his purity, it was not so much sin we saw as self. We saw pride and self-motives underlining everything we had ever done. Lust and self-pity were discovered in places where we had never suspected them. And we had to confess we knew nothing of the Holy Ghost as an indwelling person. That our bodies were meant to be the temples of the Holy Ghost we knew. But when he pressed the question, who was living in your body? We could not say that he was. We would have done so once, but now we had seen him. In his nature, he was just like Jesus. He would never live for self but always for others. We were people who had left all to follow the Savior and had forsaken all we had known of this world's goods to enter a life of faith. As far as we knew, we had surrendered our lives entirely to the one who died for us. But he showed us, there is all the difference in the world between your surrendered life in my hands and me living my life 
in your body. so much more that could be read and I'll, I'll pause right there but here's what I recognize about this is before this glorious Pentecost that, the, that they talk about that came and we all want to see the glory but there was a preparation that took place ahead of time a yieldedness to the Holy Spirit. It says, God, thank you for every manifestation. Thank you for your gifts. But it's you I want. And if all of the blessings, and if all of the manifestations of all the gifts come, but we don't have you, then we respectfully say no thanks, because we have to have you. There's a cry in this nation that says, when are we going to return to normal? I think the question back to us is, can you see what normal has got us? So if that's the case, then who wants normal? God is so hungry. to manifest himself to a group of people who will say, Jesus, no matter the cost, I want to be fully yours. Rip out every excuse I've had. I want to be free from pride. any resentment, any bitterness toward anyone, any unforgiveness, any lust, any sensuality, any selfishness, any impurity, any dissension, anything that I have against a brother or sister, I want to lay that down. I could just feel him brooding, brooding over us. It's not enough to just pray and cry out and say, God, send your spirit. He wants to send his spirit. There's a corresponding cry from heaven for us to crawl upon the altar. So he's not just the Lord of our religious life where we say, I gave him my heart. But we can truly say, God, leave no stone unturned. Every, every area who 
We are at a critical crossroads as a nation. It starts with the church. It starts with us. It starts with me. You're so merciful. And you deserve to have everything. God. God, I humble myself before you. And I humble myself before these precious people. Before my amazing church family. And I say, God, I so need you. We need you, God. We need you as a church. Our families need you, God. Young generation needs you. God, God, God. I'm reminded again, uh, several weeks ago, he told me, I want to release a sword of deliverance through my church, but before I can release it through you, I've got to put it in you. Before I release the sword of deliverance through you to others, I have to put it in you. God, deliver us from business as usual, Lord. Awaken holy hunger. Deliver us from apathy, Lord. God, I need you. God, our nation needs the church. Oh, God, to be everything you've called us to be. God. God. God, would you have mercy on us as a church? God, as the body of Christ. God in America for its immorality, for its backsliding, for its gossip, 
for its slander, for its bitterness, for its pride, for its worldliness. God, God, make us a pure bride. Holy, holy God. There is a sword. There is a sword of authority for deliverance. We've been, even if we haven't used that precise language, there has been a cry that's been coming over the last several weeks saying this generation has to see the power of God to deliver them from bondage. There is a sword of authority, apostolic authority for deliverance to break off demonic bondage from people's lives. It is coming, but first it must pierce our own hearts. Jesus said, the prince of this world is coming, but he has no hold on me. Jesus. As a Pentecostal, charismatic church, the emphasis is the Holy Spirit. And the emphasis of that name is Holy. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, precious, precious Holy Spirit, you come to empower us, empower obedient hearts that the Lamb of God would receive the reward of his suffering. You come to empower surrendered obedient hearts. Oh. Oh, you come to enforce the full victory of the cross. The full, complete victory of the cross. I'm going to ask you to just put your hands out before the Lord right now. Just put your hands out before Him. Holy Spirit. You are Holy Spirit. Precioso Espíritu Santo. Tú eres Santo. You are the Holy, Holy, Holy Spirit. Lord God. God, I'm asking right now. Any of us in this room that's resisting you, Lord, I'm asking you, break that resistance. No, we're not going to work anything up. We're not going to make anything happen. We just want to yield to you. But Lord, right now, God, I thank you for that woman a few weeks ago. Lord, she felt the, the anointing come through her screen and you dealt with age-old stuff in her life and set her free. I'm telling you, one of the, one of the biggest footholds of the enemy is unforgiveness is resentment toward other people if there is anybody you need to forgive anybody you need to forgive big or small doesn't matter what it was if you're holding on to unforgiveness if you're holding on to resentment and bitterness let it go Repent. Just say, Jesus, 
however they might have sinned against me, is nothing compared to the way that I've sinned against God Almighty. It is so small in comparison. Holy Spirit, I'm asking, let that sword go through us. Let that sword go through us. You just put your hands up before the Lord. Just ask him, Holy Spirit. Do what you want. Make me your temple and cleanse your temple. Leave no stone unturned. Do whatever you want. More right now. feel my my left side right here this section right here in front of me to my left stretching to the back of this area there's just a stirring activity of holy spirit just drawing near pressing down pressing down on people more more lord yeah, I, I really feel like some of you there's there's a battle that's inside you and i'm telling you god is saying man Step over the line. Step over the line. Surrender all. It is nothing compared to what I want to give you. Don't let the wounds of the past hurt you and hinder you to keep you from the future that I have for you. Don't let the disappointment, the wounds, don't let the betrayal of the past hinder you from the future that I have for you. I want to manifest my glory in greater measure. But let me take you deep. Let it come. Let it come. Lord, break us afresh before you. Break us afresh, holy God. More. 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 God. God. Let it come. More. Deal. Holy Spirit, come and deal with lust and self-pity. Take your holy finger and probe our hearts. God. God. God, turn your holy floodlight on every corner of our hearts and minds. Deal with lust and self-pity. One of the biggest hindrances is when we blame other people for what's wrong in our lives. Holy Spirit, release your refining fire. 
God, we want to exchange our excuses for your transforming power. I really feel like I hear the Lord saying, you have a choice. You can either hold on to your excuses or you can let go and receive my power to be transformed. Precious Holy Spirit, we don't want to just know a manifestation or a gift. We want to know you. We want to know you. You're not a means to an end. We want to know you. We want to be yielded to you. religious language of just saying he has my heart invade in practical detail every part Paul said in Romans 6 that we are not to use the parts, the members of our body as instruments of wickedness anymore. But we are to offer them to God as instruments of righteousness. And then he says in Romans 12 that we are to give our bodies as a living sacrifice. I drive that home to us in our practical daily lives, what that needs to look like for us. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We want you to get what you deserve. We want you to get what you deserve. One of the things I just reading from this book is saying that they said that 
You know, God met them. God was speaking to them in the corporate meeting. God would speak to them in their church services. They said, but God spoke to us in this service as we were all together. But where we were really transformed is then when we went our separate ways and got alone with God. So we met with him in our rooms. I'm thankful for the amazing teaching and preaching that we have the word, from the word of God week after week here, that God has blessed us with such an amazing pastor like Pastor Dave and his teaching gift. But we can sit under that week after week. But if we don't get a way to get alone with God, to let him speak directly to our heart, all that teaching will do little good. So, Lord, I'm asking that throughout the week, God, God, on Sunday night, we would have ears to hear what you're saying. And on Monday morning, we would listen to your voice. And on Monday evening, we would obey you. And that, God, Tuesday afternoon, we would be sensitive to your voice. And Tuesday afternoon, God, we'd, our meditation would be upon you, Lord. That Tuesday night, your word would be a delight to us. And on Wednesday, we would obey your word. On Thursday, we would feed on your word. And Friday, we would obey you. And over the next weekend, we would obey you completely. And that, Lord, we would just deepen our surrender and Lord that we would walk in loving obedience to you what a privilege you've given us what an amazing privilege to be in Christ and to demonstrate our love for you by our obedience take our lives Lord and use them use them for your glory and honor Use them for your glory and honor. Before we close, I just, I just ask you, partner with the Holy Spirit this week. Invite him to speak to you through his word. Invite the sword of the Lord into your heart and say, Lord, leave no stone unturned. But come and do what you want in my daily life. Ask him for that. Ask him for that. He's been brooding over us and he wants to take us deeper. There is a sword, an apostolic sword of authority to set captives free. But he will first come to us to pierce our own hearts before he comes in the fullness through us. So, Lord, I bless what you're doing in this place. Lord, I thank you 
for the hearts that are being stirred for prayer, those who can make it and those who can't. But Lord, our hearts joining as one, crying out to you, Lord. God, I thank you, Lord, for what you did with the youth over the weekend, Lord, at youth camp. And Lord, we just, we want to we wanna go for more, God. We want to go for more, Lord. We, we want to go from glory to glory. And if that means from death to a greater level of death to ourselves, then Lord, do it. But God, we got to see a generation set ablaze for your glory. Lord, we just ask for more. We want to give ourselves more and we ask for more. God, I bless what you're doing, Lord. Let that level of intercession rise. We thank you that you're a good Father. You're a trustworthy Savior. And Lord, all of our cries, our prayers, our fasting, our petitions, our intercession is not in vain. I thank you for what you're doing, Lord. Just keep coming. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give.